Hey, quick break to talk about our sponsor today. We're talking about HubSpot and their new AI-powered service hub. Okay, so what is service hub? Basically, every customer today wants to be talked to in a personalized way. And before, that required tons of human agents. But now, with AI, you could do that in a personalized way with fewer humans involved. And so you don't have to scale up your team in order to deliver personalized chat and service. So check out HubSpot's new service hub to use their AI tools to give better support to your customers. That's what they want and that's what they deserve. So visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn how this all new solution can help you deliver customer service with AI to your customers. All right, we got a friend of the show here, Jordan Harbinger. He's one of the guys who's been advising us on how to build this podcast because his podcast is way more successful than ours and has been around. He's been doing podcasting for like 12 and a half years, which, Jordan, that's got to be as long as podcasting has existed, right? Yeah, I think podcasts have been around for like 14 years and I've or 15, and I've been around for 13 of those. So yeah, when I started, there was no way, there were no iPhones, so you couldn't get podcasts on your phone. You had to use an iPod to play them. Yeah, straight to cassette. That's how that's how long this guy's been doing it. Um so so Jordan, uh you know, I like I like your show. I've been binging it while in quarantine because, you know, what else am I going to do besides try to learn something new or improve myself in some way? And I got to say I like it because you do the, you know, the interview style show where you go deep with a guest. I think, uh, you know, you had, I was listening to the one with Tony Hawk, which was pretty awesome. And I got to say, I like that you don't do the kind of surface level, you know, just, just, pit, you know, pity patting around with the questions or trying to do, you know, inspirational fluff where you're just saying, go, you can do this. Um, so with that episode with Tony Hawk, what was that like? Because Tony Hawk's an icon. How was it, uh, you know, interviewing Tony Hawk? It was great. He's a really interesting guy, really open and fun. And he told some pretty funny stories. One, which was very apropos of what, what's going on right now, is one day he walked into his agent or some sort of marketing team that he'd hired. He walked into their office. This is like at the height of video games where he's making, I don't know, well, 50 million bucks off these skating games and these brands. And he goes in and he says, look, I got this backpack that was made pretty shoddily and it's got my name and face on it. I don't want any more stuff like that. And as the agent, marketer, whatever, is sort of nodding his head and understanding, Tony goes, wait, what's that on your shelf? And it was a roll of toilet paper with Tony Hawk's name, face, and logo on it. And he goes, what the hell is that? And the guy goes, oh yeah, anything we put your name and face on does so well. We were joking that we could put your face on toilet paper and we'd still be able to sell it. And he fired them on the spot because it was clear that they didn't value his brand, which I thought was a funny story. And he's got a ton of stuff like that that he talked about on the show. That is epic. Uh, You know, I actually met Tony Hawk. Uh, We went on a trip to Africa, a charity trip together. And believe it or not, we were halfway up up a mountain in Ethiopia where, you know, it's a like this is a mountain village. And somebody saw him there and they were like, Tony Hawk. You know, that's probably the only English word they said to us all day. They identified Tony Hawk on a mountain in Ethiopia. That's how famous that guy is. So that's an amazing uh, guest to have on the show. Imagine being that famous (laughs) that you get recognized in the middle of countries where like nobody speaks your language and they maybe don't even have skateboards. Yeah, we were there trying to give people clean water. They didn't even have water, but they knew Tony Hawk. That's how that's how famous that guy is. Amazing. Awesome. Well, if you want to hear more from Jordan, we're going to be having him on uh, more and more. He's a friend of the friend of the house. And uh, you should listen to his show. It's one of the podcasts that I would recommend. If you like Tim Ferriss's stuff, if you like our stuff, you're going to like his stuff. And so go check out the Jordan Harbinger show uh, on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find them there. All right, we're back, man. I started off with a big um. That's not cool. Uh, Sam, you are wearing a Harvard shirt. Why go to the school when you can buy the shirt for $35 and get half the benefits? Uh, it was $60, Sean. But whenever <laughs> I wear it, they go, you went to Harvard? Yeah, I went to Harvard. I've been. I've been to Harvard. <laughs> I took a, I paid $20. I got a tour there last year when I was 28. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a great conversation starter. <laughs> And then they don't know how to escape. They thought they were going to have an alumni chat. Oh, Harvard, you did. Yeah, I went for uh, Easter. took a tour. It was lovely. (laughs) It'd be a great school to go to. (laughs) That's great. That's great. I I actually, this is like a weird thing. I I have a lot of weird collections. And one of them, I like collecting university sweatshirts. So I have, I didn't go to a, a... 
you know, a, a, an elite school, but I respect them. I have a Stanford one. I have a Harvard one. I think I have a Dartmouth one. I've got all the cool ones. My wife I went to a, Ivy uh, Penn. I have a Penn one. I have a Harvard one too. I don't even know why. I don't even know where. I don't even think I bought it. It's just at my house somehow and I wear it. And then um, I didn't buy any of my college gear when I was in college because I was like, this is expensive and a little bit lame how people would wait in line for hours for a free shirt. I would wear a Duke and, one though. You went to Duke. Yeah, I went to Duke, and so, but I liked the stuff. I just didn't. I just thought it was too expensive. And then now, like literally uh, during Black Friday, everybody was shopping, and I was like, "Oh shit, I want to shop." I got the urge to shop too, but I don't know what the hell to shop for. So I bought a bunch of university shit ten years later. Ten years later, and so now I have like all Duke gear. I wear Good. it like you know every day. I would wear uh, Duke stuff too. I, I would be proud. I think Duke's okay, cool. Okay, I'll hook you up. I, I have a bunch. I will get you a Duke sweatshirt. Well, Duke or, probably or... has like really good dry fit basketball gear and stuff like that. I'm gonna um, I'll go and buy some. I'll buy some from Duke. What should I? What else should I add to my collection? Cornell. Mm-hmm. That's like a cool one. Because maybe Andy... like an edgy one of some kind. Like you should get like. Uh... You know what school has sort of fallen out of favor, <laughs> or you just do like the like Theranos shirt or like Lambda School shirt or something. No, I want universities. Like, uh, I don't know. Maybe throw a little Oxford in there. Go international. Ooh, I could do Oxford or like a like is Rhodes Scholar a thing? I think that's um, I think that's part of Oxford. I don't know. I, I Alan just told Oxford me thing. to wear a University of Sydney one because I, I did go to University of Sydney for a year. Yeah, it's less interesting when you actually went there. <laughs> I know. So anyway, uh, I'm right. wearing a Harvard sweatshirt and I'm drinking Kool-Aid. Yeah, he's drinking a glass of Kool-Aid. The mood is set. That is the perfect uh, formula. So let's let's jump in. Uh, what do we got? Uh, we can talk about a bunch of interesting things. You want to um, bring up this uh, Amazon company? Yeah, so this company, I don't know how you say it exactly. I think it's called Thrasio. So... Um, Saw the news recently. I think probably a lot of people listening to this have heard of this. So we'll just give kind of our opinion. Okay, so so Thrasio is the name of it. It's a roll-up company. So we've been talking roll-ups, you know, here and there. So this is a roll-up company. And what they're doing is they're rolling up Amazon FBA businesses. So um, brands that, you know, are built and sold just pretty much exclusively on Amazon. And uh, these are usually like private labeled goods. So they, you know, find some shit in China, slap their name on it. Posted on Amazon, and uh, they try to just surf the search traffic on Amazon. And so these businesses are, are, you know, they can be be decent. And so these guys have rolled up so many of them that basically, so they just raised 110 million dollars at a, a 780 million dollar valuation. And um, it's only a year old or two years old. Two two years old exactly. So two years old, and they've built a ton of value. So the you know this valuation at 780 million is 30 times what it was 18 months ago. So they've built a pretty big um, uh, company. So the holding company, uh, they, they say their gross revenue is over 200 million, and they have 35 million in trailing 12 months EBITDA. So 35 million of EBITDA in the last 12 months, um, not bad. Now th- this is a little bit controversial. So when I first saw this, I was like, oh, that's interesting. That's smart. Um, they own a bunch of brands like... I think they own 35 of them or 200 of them. 43, 43 brands. They do all cash transactions. And uh, so th- some of the examples, they have a, a brand called Beast Gear, which I think is a fitness brand. They have a, a Trail Buddy hiking poles. I, um, I've seen that. Anti-fatigue floor mats, pet deodorizers. So all these like little niche businesses that will do individually, you know, single digit millions a year in revenue. And they're rolling them up. And so... On one hand, I was like, okay, this is a quick way to like build a lot of value because, um, you know, the, the, the sellers in these markets kind of know um, they built a thing to, you know, let's call it $4 million in revenue and they're doing all right. But they'll, you know, if you, if you would pay them out three or four million bucks, they'll take it because that's three years of, you know, cash flow and they'll, they, they know that FBA businesses are very fickle. So that was okay, the kind of Okay, but where's the bot? Where's the bot? The but is Amazon FBA businesses are not durable or defensible. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe these guys have a contrarian point of view that's correct. But the conventional wisdom here is it's very easy for a competitor to come in and compete with you. Um, It's very hard to build any kind of moat because you're just hoping to be at the top of the rankings. Um, On top of that, 
Amazon themselves is going into different categories and creating Amazon basic brands. Yeah, I mean, I just that, I just typed in anti-fatigue mat. Their brand is number two, and the number one brand is Amazon Basics, and it's $10 right. cheaper. And then there's probably, I don't know how many more, uh, like right next to that, there's probably like a bunch more that are in that same category. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what works in the algorithm for some amount of time, like let's say you bought a bunch of fake reviews or something like that, um, that can get penalized and then boom, your brand drops to essentially zero or it can, it can drop like a, uh, uh, like a rock. Okay. And well, so, let, let's play devil's advocate here though. Let's, yeah. here's, let's explain, um, how this can be great. So if you, let's just type in phone charger, Amazon. So there's this brand called, um, anchor A N K E R, yes. you know, that brand. Yes. Started in China in, uh, what's the, uh, Silicon Valley of China. It's called Shozen or, uh, I don't know. I think there's a few different hubs. There's like a manufacturing hub. There's a tech hub. There's a there's different hubs. Here's Alan messaging me. Shen, Shen, Shenzhen. 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 Okay. The guy he worked at. I think his name was Peter. I, I believe he worked at Google in San or in California, and then he's from this area, and he moved back there, and he started this charger company called Anchor, and he goes when we when we started this business, our goal was to be at a we would want to rest in the four to four and a half star review on Amazon. So we wanted to have products that were pretty good, but affordable. And they started making phone chargers and it's a billion dollar company now. And they lived on Amazon for a long time and then have since built a brand beyond it. And I love their products. So it is definitely possible to build beyond, but there are so many Amazon only companies that just suck. Right. Yeah. And so the, the question that I have for these guys is what does the hit rate need to be for this to work? So like out of every 10 businesses they buy, if one or two of them next year have been outcompeted or delisted or deranked in the Amazon search and you know revenue drops by 40%, 50%, 80%, which can totally happen on Amazon, um, can their business still work? Or do they, do they need a high hit rate? Or um, do they have some sort of durability where they can take some, some losses along the way? Like, right? like a venture capitalist can invest in a portfolio of companies they don't need most to work. They need one or two to work uh, for the whole portfolio to return. But for other types of businesses, when you're buying, you know, you're buying based off of EBITDA, I don't think you have that same luxury. So I'm very curious um, how this works. Now, what I will say is if you're the founder, you kind of had nothing to lose doing this, right? There's an opportunity to do the roll-up. You used other people's money to do it. You've built a, you know, presumably $800 million company in two years. Well, and you can take some st- secondary off off the table, and and then you're free rolling the rest. And maybe this works if even if there's a twenty percent chance of it working. Um, you you know, for the entrepreneur, I think it was a good bet. For the investors, I don't know. So that valuation doesn't seem crazy rich, to be honest. Thirty five. So that's only is that twelve times profit? Yeah, which is a lot for uh, and these FBA businesses individually are selling for. Uh, I don't know, two, three X. So why, yeah, but none of them have $35 million in profit. And do they get $35 million in profit in two years? Yeah. But like there's not, they're, they're not growing at a rapid pace because they're, you know, one company is growing. They're just, they're paying for each, each, you know, incremental growth, right? They're acquiring companies to grow. And so, and I, I agree with you. I'm just, why playing, the group would be worth more. I'm just playing the other side here. Um, Instant Pot, that was basically uh, an FB, or that was like lived only on Amazon. I mean, so but it that's, can happen. That's a defensible product, right? So like if you go, as I have, on Alibaba and you go try to find an Instant Pot competitor, um, it is not easy to get a product that is of the same quality uh, as Instant Pot. Um, it is not a, it's not an easily clonable business. Whereas this, you know, the, the business they wrote in here, Beast Gear, the number one selling product looks like it's hand wraps for like boxing. Is and that really search, what it is? You search wrist wraps in Amazon and you get tons of competitors. I could go start a wrist wrap, you know, boxing gear brand tomorrow. Like, give me 18 hours and I'll have a, a clone of Beast Gear spun up. Uh, that doesn't mean I'll be able to rank as high right away, but it's, you know, is the it, products wait, are not gear, as is it, durable. Is it Gear Beast? Uh, yeah, Gear Beast. They have Beast a ton gear. of crap. They've got uh, a cell phone holder that goes on your water bottle. That's kind of cool. <laughs> Be, no beast gear not not gear beast oh i'll send sure? you the link yeah well this... it's, so it's, it's all fit, fitness equipment i'm not saying it's bad it might be fine fitness equipment but what, what i'm saying is this is a clearly 
you know, private label, Amazon supplier, you can find this in, in a very short, you can clone the product in a very short amount of time. The, yeah, I'm looking part at this of, beast here. This looks like shit. Yeah, the harder part is is to rank high, right? So, but the problem with that is just like, you know, we have a friend who has a business that he bought for a million, to, between one and two million dollars and um, was heavily dependent on SEO as well as YouTube. So it was doing great in SEO. It was doing great on YouTube. It, had, it was bringing in, you know, close to a million dollars in revenue a year. And, um, you know, the SEO and the, the YouTube rank was very strong. Now, two years later, like I just talked to him and he said it's fallen off a cliff. YouTube changed their algorithm and Google changed their algorithm slightly and my business is essentially dead. Um, and now that's a, you know, that's a business he bought for, for over a million dollars. Yeah, and he so, shouldn't have bought that in the first place. It was obvious that was going to happen. but And so these are, you know, the number one thing, you know, we just had Andrew Wilkinson on the podcast and he's talking about buying businesses. I think, you know, my even. point of view is aligned with his, which is that durability is, you know, one of the top characteristics that that you look for when you're buying a business. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that this is a risky bet, but the guy who started it seems really interesting. Um, what's his story? He worked at seamless. I mean, he seems like a, like a, I I think he worked at seamless. He just seems like he's just been around a bunch of fast growing companies. Um, let me look him up. What what was the Thrasio? Yeah, he just he like I, th- I believe he's in New York, and he started a bunch of companies. And then the guys who started Seamless are are uh, a bit involved. Um, so he seems interesting, and the people who invested in him said that he was a kind of a force to be reckoned with. So maybe they yeah, know something we don't. This know. is not e- this is not easy to do. So I, you know, I definitely give them credit for doing this in such a short amount of time. Again, as an entrepreneur, I think it's a great bet. As a do I think that this business is actually going to work? And would I invest in this business? No. Yeah, I I agree with you. But yeah, the, it's pretty amazing what they pulled off. So good for them. Okay, I got I got a, another I got a half baked idea for you. Okay, so um, I don't love this idea. I'd give it a four out of ten. But there's something there. I think it can be improved uh, a little bit. So it's the second one. So um, right now everybody is at home. Uh, and a lot of people are sort of, you know, finding in-home entertainment. Some people watching Netflix, you know, Twitch, YouTube, etc. And some people are trying to figure out, okay, how do I do home workouts? How do I improve my fitness? Some people are, ta- you know, doing online classes. And so online class is kind of interesting to me, right? Um, you've taken a bunch of online classes. You guys offer online classes. I've taken a bunch as well. I pay for it. And um, I was wondering, you know, like I, every time I see an interesting online class, I'm like, okay, you know, the risk of this just being some like shitty, you know, good sales pitch, shitty class is too high. And, um, and I'm always just like, I wish I could just, you know, kind of try this or have a kind of an all you can eat pass where I could just try as many of these as I want. So the idea is why isn't there a class pass for online courses or even better? Why isn't there just a pirate bay for <laughs> to have all these for free? That's the bootleg version. There is a pirate bay for it. I mean, I've, oh. I've downloaded a bunch. Um, what is the part? Is it just the pirate bay or is there a different one? No, I mean, look, you know how, like, we find, like, illegal streams of UFC events and stuff like that? Yeah. And you just, like, know what to Google, like, UFC cracked stream or, like... Right. Allegedly, yes. Yeah. Uh, or uh, on Reddit. You could look it up on Reddit. Or you could look it up on Twitter. Right. Uh, there's the same thing. So, like, for example, there's this fitness guy who advertises on YouTube called Kino Body, And he's, like, shredded. Oh, Kino Body, dude. That guy's got the best ads. His ads are so funny. And I was like, I just got to buy this just to see, what like, what it's about. Like, I don't even want to do it but i just typed in like kino body torrent dropbox or something and i was able to download it for free amazing okay this week's episode is brought to you by neville medora's copywriting course if you listen to sam you've probably heard him say the word copywriting a million times now he did a whole podcast talking about one of the skill sets that has helped him the most as well as you know it you you did this in your recession proof skill sets podcast i think uh and a lot of people were asking okay where do i go to find it when you did it back then, you were just saying, you know, the tools and the books and the stuff that, you know, the things that have worked for you, you were not paid to say it. You truly believe it. This time it's an ad. We are paid to say it, but we still believe it. I actually have bought the course as well. Um, I've gone through it, you know, two months ago, three months ago. And um, I mean, it's amazing. If you want to, the fastest way for me to increase sales or increase conversions or increase growth has been to change the words on the page or change the words in an email 
it is way faster than trying to come up with new features or whole new ideas to, to try to grow. So copywriting, I'm a big fan. Sam, what do you think? Yeah, so I think that it definitely changed how I wrote copy and I got more sales, but more importantly, to me, copywriting means understanding what motivates people and figuring out how to communicate how my product will solve a problem in their in their life. And I took Neville's course in 2013, I believe, and it really kind of opened my eyes to how to do this. So if you're into this, if you want to try it, just go to copywritingcourse.com. That's copywriting course. And Neville's kind of funny. Uh, he's a, he's an oddball and he spelled copywriting with a K and course with a K. So just Google copywriting course and you'll see his blog and you can sign up to his course if you want. And if you just want to go straight to the course, just Google copywriting course join and you will see a link for it. Okay, so for people who haven't heard of Kinobody, you need to find this guy's YouTube ad. So just go Facebook ad library which if you didn't know is amazing. You can go see any brand's Facebook ads. So Google Facebook ad library, then type in Kino Body, and then watch these guys' ads. This guy basically, he tries to position himself as like... Um, Bruce Wayne. Real name? Bruce Wayne, yeah. He's like in front of a castle. He's in front of Wayne Manor, and he's out in nature. He's shirtless, and he's super ripped, obviously, and he's just stretching. He's just doing this like, you know, push-ups. And in, like, in front of a Ferrari. And then the Ferrari's behind him, and then like a woman comes up and hands him a glass of champagne. He drinks the glass, and then he continues his workout. And it's like this over the top, ridiculous lifestyle ad. It's like Ty Lopez if Ty Lopez was Jack. It's so funny. It's 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 great. You know, I've actually I like got caught by the ad. I was like, this guy's funny. Like I gotta, it, it, <laughs> dude. I bookmarked it and I sent it to friends. I was like, this is the best ad I've ever seen. Yeah, it's it's like <laughs> I feel as though he's definitely mocking himself a little bit. Like he's yeah. it's like. And I did research on him. His name's Greg, and his family is wealthy. Not, like, billionaire wealthy, but just, like, good gigs and stuff like that. I think they live in Canada. Um, and his program, it's fine. It's great advice. It's, and, it's, you know, the good thing, so, so you click the ad, and then it basically takes you to this quiz of, like, you know, the reason I haven't been able to get as fit as I want is it's hard to stick to my diet, or I don't like going to the gym. And you start taking this quiz, and it's just two giant buttons on the screen, and you're just picking your answer and like 10 questions in, he's like, all right, I'm formulating the perfect plan for you. And of course, it just spits out the same three plans. It's like, do you want to be a Greek god body? Do you want to be the, the <laughs> lean shredded machine? Yeah. Or would you rather be, you know, whatever, you and not buy my program? And uh, you just pick one of those and it's like 60 bucks. And I think this guy's making like somewhere, I, you know, six, seven million dollars a year. I, I looked think it I up. I think it was like eight to ten. Eight to ten, yeah. So he said it in some interview, um, and you know, I would totally believe that. That makes sense to me. Yeah, um, it's, he's got a great YouTube channel. I love that guy. What's his name? Greg, Greg McCafferty or Greg? Uh, no, no, it's something else. It's uh, he's it's, great. It, you know, he kind of his whole brand. Greg is like O'Gallagher. O'Gallagher. <laughs> he's got this brand that's like a mix of Bruce Wayne and American Psycho, and his YouTube yes. ads are so good. And what I always tell people who are interested in internet marketing is, I go find out what the affiliate marketers or the fitness people or anyone you think is scammy, find out whatever they're doing and copy it. Right. And because it works, it's so effective and uh, they have. It's not the best way to change the world, but it is an amazing way. That advice is an amazing way to actually build the core skill set you need to sell anything and make anything successful. And like, if I was, you know, 20 to 26, I would be, on that i'd be like okay hey it looks like this gamer energy drink is being you know slung around and doing 20 million dollars a year okay i'm gonna make my own gamer energy drink or i'm gonna make my own kino body or i'm gonna make my own whatever and i would learn the core skill set of internet marketing to uh be able to succeed in anything because usually these guys they typically they're they have a wobbly moral compass so they're willing to do some things that most people are not willing to do and also they start with nothing and they have to spend a dollar and make more than a dollar and so right. what i like to say is whatever tactics they're doing just take all the silicon valley funding that you've raised and definitely be ethical and have a really good product but also do all that stuff that they do right and if you, you can sell, if you can sell a shit product you can sell a great product yeah <laughs> that's one way of, that's one way of thinking about it right and so whatever the internet marketers do do that so there's a reason why you see those internet marketers with long sales pages with lots of text there's a reason why you see them you know with a ferrari in the right. in the background it works so on the y combinator uh, application if you want to apply to yc they have one question that's kind of the famous question great. which is Tell me about a real life system you've hacked to your benefit. And what they mean is basically like, tell me where you, 
you know, didn't follow the standard playbook, you came up with some clever solution and you got a good result for yourself out of it. And uh, they're not looking for anything unethical. They're just trying to say like, you know, oh, you know, I realized that, um, you know, I really wanted to place, you know, during, during COVID, I realized that, you know, grocery shortage was a big problem. I realized I could uh, scrape all the availability windows at midnight every day, Eastern time, because that's when their servers updated. I could find the delivery times and I could book them for me and my family or whatever. Right? Wait, what's like, your answer, Sean? You know, I had an answer for that because I did apply to YC. I just try to think of what it would be. Um, I'll tell you mine while you think. Go, yeah, go for it. I have too many that I don't want to say on air because <laughs> for a bunch of reasons, I don't want to incriminate, incriminate myself or also look bad when I don't think it's actually that bad. But I'll, but I'll say a I'll say one. When I was in college, uh, they let you take 28 hours, up to 28 hours of summer school, but they don't define what summer is. And so what I would do my, and during a semester was <laughs> I found out that summer school could also be online school. And LSU has courses that you can take that only cost $600 or $400, whereas at my university, like the credit, I forget how it was structured, but like the equivalent was like ten grand, um, And... So I signed up for twenty dollars through LSU, and it was all online. And you could sign up for these bullshit classes. And then I right. hired an Indian uh, to do it for like fifty bucks, like so cheap. He just wrote yep. these crap essays, yep. and then a TA like graded it. And so I a whole semester of school was just that way. Dude, that that's hilarious. I don't know what mine would be, but I have a very similar one, which was when I was at Duke. I had this. I, I was doing so poorly in all my classes. I was like a very mediocre student. And um, I was like, man, these people all work harder than me and are smarter than me. Like, there's just not really like a great path for me to, you know, in high school, I was the smartest kid and didn't have to work that hard. And here, everybody is the smartest kid from their high school is all here. So now that doesn't work anymore. And so I looked around, I looked around and I realized, man, what are all these athletes doing? Because the only not smart people on campus were the athletes for the most part, uh, except for Brian Zubek. Shout out to Zubek for being smart. So, um, I looked at what the basketball players would take. So I found a way to look at their class schedule and I signed up for all those classes. And uh, one of them in particular that I, I saw all of them were in was this one, uh, it's like business. It was like this business course. And so I signed up for it. And first day of semester, I was like, okay, where do I go? Like, there's no classroom listed here. I like emailed the professor. I'm like, Hey, there seems to be some error. There's no classroom listed on the thing. And he was like, Oh yeah, this is a virtual course. You just need to read um, these three books and they were like, it was the Lance Armstrong book. It was like two, like other, like super light, like breezy reads. I was like, you have to read these three books the whole semester. And at the end, pick one and write one page about it. God, <laughs> just, so email that, just email that to me. And I got an A and it was just me and all the athletes in this course and nobody else even knew about it. And so I got it. That's a, so stupid. And that course <laughs> for, I don't know if you were in scholarship or not, that, that was probably 10 grand. Yeah, well, that's the thing. We for them, they're on scholarship. I was the only one paying for my tuition, God, so, so I actually paid ten grand for that. That's so but, stupid. This is why I don't want people to bail out um, folks who have loans because I know it will hurt them. But in the short term, it will hurt them. But in the long term, it should make, these schools should go out of business. When I was in school, I I went there on a track and field scholarship. I had to take a gym class, so I took aerobic walking. <laughs> Right. Oh God. Yeah. I'm there's so... literally like rocks for jocks and all these like you know secret classes that were so easy to be in. Um, it, it says the guy who is wearing the Harvard sweatshirt right now. <laughs> hey, Harvard seems great. Oh, I thought Duke seemed great, but the fact that those things existed—that's so stupid to me. D- dude, another one like that. Um, so Harvard has this thing called the extension. Have you, have you heard of the Harvard extension? Yeah, school? it's like people go, like executives go, and they pay and they let everyone so, in, and then on their so LinkedIn th- they put that they went to Harvard. No, so that's the that's the executive MBA, which is just straight up. Yeah, it's you pay a, a absurd amount of money, and you take this thing online. And on Tyra like, Banks's LinkedIn, it says graduate of Harvard, right? And she went to an executive. So, so my cousin had this where he had a Harvard thing on his resume. And I was like, dude, you went to Harvard? And he was like, oh no, no, no. there's this extension school. It's like two blocks away from Harvard, and uh, <laughs> anyone can get in. You just pay and you go, and it's called Harvard Extension. But he's like, but when people read the resume, they just stop at Harvard. They're like, okay, cool. Uh, you know, they, they don't even know what this other EXT stands for. <laughs> I hope your cousin's listening. Uh, yeah, he's he's great. He's actually really smart and has been super successful since then. So yeah. Anyways, uh, okay. Off track. You want to yeah. talk about some hacks? You want to talk? I want to talk about this Jim Pattison guy, and then I want to tell you and the listeners one thing that I do. I told Andrew about this the other day, and he loved it. Have you heard of newspapers.com? No. First of all, awesome company. 
Love this business. Newspapers.com. All right, I'm going to it's it. It's owned by, I believe it's owned by... Uh, a, Ancestry. It's, it's owned by Ancestry. Um, it's amazing. I'm a subscriber. I pay $10 a month, maybe $20 a month. I forget. I love it. And it's What an do you ag- do with this? I'll tell you. It's an aggregation of all the newspapers ever, or at least they try to make it that. And what I love to do is whenever I read books, which I love biographies and I love books. So right now, I feel like a douche admitting this. I'm reading The Fountainhead. I've never read Ayn Rand. <laughs> yeah. but I've never read it either, actually. I've never read any of that, but everyone says that I should. So whatever, I read it. It's based in 1933. And so what I'll do is, and they talk about architecture. And architecture nowadays, that doesn't, that's not like a particularly like a sexy job, but it's according to that book, it was. And so I'll use newspaper.com and I'll set the time range from like 1928 to like 1933. And I'll just type in like New York architecture and I'll read cool New York article articles about architecture. And I'll kind of, or like the book is based on Frank Lloyd Wright. So I'll look at articles about him or when i read the biography of ted turner i'll type in ted turner he had an advertising company in in 1973 but the problem is if i google that Il- ted turner cnn will show up and google right. didn't exist in 1973 so i want to look up articles about it'll say like edward turner buys new billboard in right athens so georgia are you trying to see what were they saying about this back then yes like, what and did people think back then and not before the they history? knew yeah before yeah. they knew what the outcome was going to be so another example i uh i started reading about dan gilbert the guy started quicken loans and he sent, like he owns all the stuff big deal he's re- revitalizing D- detroit Every, everyone knows his name I was like, what What was his path like? What did he start? And so I went to Dan Gilbert, 1994, Quicken Loans. And it was like his company was six years old. And I looked at how they were describing him. And, and they described him as very similar to what they described him as now. I'm like, wow, that guy like kind of had the it factor back then. And it's really fun to see that. Um, same with the – have you heard of um, Fossil Watches? Yes. That guy who started it, he also now owns this thing called Shinola, which is really cool. And everyone knows him as Shinola. But I just like looked – I was like, I wonder what he was like when he was like, younger and just getting going. And I just read all about him and his brothers starting the Fossil Watchers, and they show him in their garage. And it's just right. really cool to to read all about that. And uh, so that I use it like crazy. Or And I read a lot of biographies set in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, all the way up to the 70s. And it's the only source that you can go and get real facts and information about it. I like that a lot. I I'm a little different than you in that I don't I don't a do as much biography type of stuff as you do, but b my method for this I, I have the same itch I try to scratch, but I scratch it a different way. So I think we've talked about this once before. But if the itch is I want to know what people were saying back then when we didn't know what the outcome was going to be, because in reality when you look at today. That's what today is. Today, people are talking about stuff and they don't know what the outcome is going to be. And so to train your mind to understand how, like, not just to believe everything you read today and how to put this into context. And man, everybody was wrong about X. I have a bunch of different, like, methods of doing this. So first is um, we've talked about these, like, memos before, like the original memo when they were like, hey, we're going to create PowerPoint or the Facebook memos when they're like, hey, I think we should compete with uh, you know, we should buy Oculus for this reason. And the, ba- seeing- and the backstory to this is you worked with Emmett, the founder of Twitch, and he wrote yes. an M- uh, a memo or wrote a bunch of stuff saying why they should pivot the company from doing this. Yeah, what you, they were you doing do this to with your Twitch. company. I emailed the CEO, or not email, I slacked him and I said, hey, do you have any of the original document plans, p- pitches that you had from when you started the company 10 years ago before this was a multi-billion dollar company? And he sent me a bunch of the raw research, like, user interviews, PowerPoint presentations he was giving the like investors. And it was awesome to see that's what that's how sophisticated it was back then. And also um, that's you know, there were certain things they were totally wrong about. And and so it, it's what do you mean it that was sophisticated? Him. So when Emmett was starting Twitch, you're saying um, I'm saying you know, like when you look at the pitch, it's not a polished thing. There's not a ton of well researched data. Uh, same thing, We, you know, uh, Suli, our friend uh, who started a really successful mobile gaming company called Tiny, um, I, Tinyco, I had asked him, I said, hey, you raised all this money from Andreessen Horowitz. He raised $16 million. And if you go look, Ben Horowitz writes a blog post about him and says, like, this founder kicks ass and this company's going to be awesome and here's why. And I was like, dude, what was your pitch um, to them? I want to see the deck you sent them. And he sent it to me and it was no joke, all black and white. Like no styling, like two images in the whole thing. Um, There's some really like bold like proclamations about what they were trying to do and why, why it was going to work. And that like 
it was just so interesting to see the content. Like the name of the company was something totally different back then. Yeah, it was, like, it was called like Brooklyn Brooklyn Packet Company. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, it, I like I like seeing stuff back when it started, when it was unclear what the outcome was going to be. The other thing I do with this is my own emails. So I frequently, if I make a decision, I will email the decision out to the people who are involved in it. And they're like, yeah, I know. We just talked about this on the phone for two hours. Like, why did you And it's like a diary. It's a diary. And then I go back and I look at this. I'm like, okay, I was a dumbass. What was I wrong about then that I now can see? And uh, I'll go back and I'll read my old emails to like help refine my own my own game so I can make better decisions as I go forward. That's a great... Um... You ask that question all the time. What am I, say it again. Uh, like, what am I wrong about? Uh, my question is, uh, when if we look back in 12 months or six months from now and we say, hey, man, that podcast was great. You know, you were really excited about it. It seemed like it was going to work. Uh, and it, it, let's assume like 12 months from now, it's failed. What's the most likely reason you're going to say why it failed, right? That's a, a question I ask myself on any project I do. What's the if six months from now, if we fast forward to there and it's failed, what's the most likely reason I'd be giving you over a beer when we're like, dude, what happened? That was great. And then I write that down now and I start to work on it now. But then I, when it, you know, six months later, I'll go back and I'll look at those things and I'll say, okay, what was I right about? What was I wrong about? And it's really just a humbling exercise. Um, Cause I'm like, okay, cool. I know, you know, today how like not to take at sort of face value, all the stuff I'm reading from others, as well as things I'm thinking myself, because I just seen over time how wrong people are. Yeah, I've stolen that from you. I always ask. I have been asking myself what exists now that I need to take advantage of that won't exist in the next ten or twenty years. For me, right now, it's cold emailing. I think it's pretty crazy that you can email anyone. <laughs> like this hole is open. <laughs> yeah, I think it's nuts. It'd be like if I had anyone's. If I could easily guess everyone's phone number. Right. Like, it's like, well, why would so, you? So just here's call them? here's another version of that. So Paul Graham again, YC. Um, has this essay and he's talking about like how to get great startup ideas. And if you're listening to this and you want to get great startup ideas, I would go, I would recommend you go read this. It's paulgram.com. I think it's just slash ideas. And Is this the one called Schlepp? No, that's a different one. Uh, but this one, he, he basically says, look, the easiest way to invent the future is to just live in the future and then figure out what's missing for others, right? So he was like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, when he created Facebook, he already was blogging on these like, you know, kind of blogging wasn't as big of a thing, but he was blogging. He was taught, he was sharing life updates and photos online with other people who, you know, he didn't even know super well, but they were just following him online. And he's like, for him, living online and posting your photos, your status updates, your thoughts, that was normal. But for everybody else, it was abnormal. So he was sort of already living in the future and he just needed to build what was missing for everybody else who was currently living in the present. And, um, and there's like, so the, the, the blog post is really good. It talks about the same thing with like, a, it's the, there's old painting quotes. Like, how do you paint the perfect painting? It's like, first you become per- perfect and then you just paint. Uh, and it's the same idea, which is like, if you are already living a lifestyle that is awesome for you, but you are doing it in a kind of manual way, or you've hacked the system into to where you are, you have these um, products or benefits that other people don't have. You just have to figure out how to make that accessible and educate the market on those things and so that they can come live the same lifestyle you're living. So I have an example of this. Um, I was reading something recently that was really interesting. There's this guy named Alex something. I don't know. doesn't matter what his last name is. So his name's Alex. And he did something very interesting. So he created, uh, he's in the crypto space. And crypto has never been more interesting to me than it is now because now everybody who was just like, here for the bandwagon has jumped off and has moved on to the next shit. And so only the real diehards are still in it, just making progress every week. And so this guy's one of those diehards, he's still in it. And what he did was he created what I'll call a life coin. So he created his own currency called Alex. It's dollar sign Alex if you want to buy it. Wait, a, a, a life a, a life coin is the Life coin is my term. Uh, that's not like what they call it, but... Um, you know, it could also be called a personal ICO. He created a social currency for himself. There's no like terms for it. That's how new this idea is. Okay. But I call it a life coin. Basically, he cre- he minted 10 million Alex coins. And of the 10 million Alex coins, he start, you know, he kept a bunch for himself. And then he's like, okay, I will sell some Alex coins to the general market. And the contract is this. Uh, he created an income sharing agreement. He's like, hey, I'm 20. I really want to go to this crypto conference. And... Um, 
you know, I don't have the money to pay. I don't have three grand. I can go pay for this now. And some guy on Twitter reached out, was like, I'll loan you the money. Um, you just pay me back. And he's like, but let's do it through a smart contract using crypto. And so they, that was kind of how this started. And then so eventually what he did was he did, he financed his education doing this. So he sold $20,000 worth of his student loan, basically. And he has an income share agreement, which means after he graduates, whatever job he gets for the first three years, he's going to pay back the holders of this Alex coin at some predefined rate. Yeah, I have. I, I just Googled it. This is amazing. It's smart and, kid. He's only 21 or two or from France. Right. And so he uh, he did this. And so um, I, I started looking into this because I'm very intrigued by this because there's so many people who I'm like, uh, like we have this friend Vishal. He's really young. He's like, I think, 22 now. Uh, but for two years now, uh, I've been like, this guy's going to be a billionaire someday. If I could just own 5% of Vishal's future earnings, I, I would pay a lot of money for that. I wouldn't bet on every individual venture because, dude, I don't know. It might not be this one, you know. But but by the time this guy's 40, he's going to be a billionaire. And you feel that about own, him? What's that? You feel that about him? Oh, yeah, for sure. He, he's also maniacally focused on becoming a billionaire. It's the only thing he does and cares about in his life. Uh, he doesn't date. He doesn't work out. He doesn't have hobbies. His hobby is making money. His interest is making money. His friends are people who have money. Like that's who this guy is. It's Let's awesome. we gotta spell his name. So I don't. I've never met Vishal, even though he's good friends with you. Yeah, we should have him on the podcast. What's his um, name? So it's Vishal V I S H A L, and his last name is. Uh, if you just do his Twitter, it's Vishal Harp. Um, How do you spell that? The last name H A R P H A R P. Vishal um, Harp. I gotta find him. So I have confidence that this guy is gonna be a billionaire someday. And so I would love to invest a hundred grand right now and own a piece of his future earnings. Now, he might not take that trade, but there's many people out there who don't have access to capital, don't have access to, to fund their education, um, or they're just they're being like an NBA player is a great example of this. So there's this NBA basketball player called Spencer Dinwiddie who did this also. He just signed a contract with the Nets. That was a four-year, $29 million deal, a three-year, a three-year $29 million deal, something like that. And he he wanted to basically uh, fr- sell fractions of his future NBA earnings through crypto. The NBA ultimately blocked him, but he was literally trying to do it. He was like, hey, look, I just signed a $30 million deal, and I'm going to sell off part of my future contracts today. I want capital today, and if you bet that I'm going to get my next contract going to be bigger then you're going to own a piece of something that's bigger. It's like a stock, but it's my future earnings. Well, you know, people do this illegally, obviously. Like, this is what you do in high school when you when you see it. Like, this happened all the time where, like, a good high schooler would be, we'd be great at basketball, and a guy would be like, all right, I'll buy you a car now, right. um, and I'll buy you a house now, but when it comes back, you got me. Right, and the NCAA tries to block all this, and, like, you know, Nike does this all the time, where it's like, oh, why does this guy's uncle, why is he now, like, a senior VP at Nike? It's like, well, because, you know, that's their workaround to, like, get in with this guy, so he signs with Nike. And so, anyways, I think this is interesting for musicians. I think it's interesting for athletes. I will say up front, I don't think this is really a thing, but if this was a thing, it would, like, change the way the world works, so I'm very intrigued by it. I'm very, keeping very close tabs on every example that I see of these, and in fact, they they uh, this guy Alex is using this company called Roll to do this. I think it's like I don't know tryroll.com or some shit like that. And uh, the founder reached out uh, and DM me, and he was like, "Hey, you know, you guys could do this for your podcast. Like, let's say you created the Millie Coin, and you created 10 million Millie Coins, and you could they could be redeemed for you know if you have 2,000, you could get a sponsorship slot on the on the podcast. So you could let's say buy slots today." That could be redeemed in the future as the show continues to grow and now you're getting better value or it could be used for a one-hour coaching session for us or whatever right like we can create a social currency within our community that can be traded on the market as well as redeemed for value with us or our podcast that's pretty and I think cool it's very, i think it's very interesting i'm like kind of tempted to try it because i just again this is one of those where i want to try to live in the future maybe this is the future did you maybe see what alan amazing. just sent it's called uh, pandopooling.com I have not seen this. Look up pandopooling.com. It looks like a sort of share your future earnings, like sell off your future earnings or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, dude. This is, there's something to this. Um, or I, w- I shouldn't say that. I think that this, if this worked, it would be, it would change a lot of shit. And so I want to, I want to be the, one of the first people to test this out and see, see what's what. Um, that's cool. This is. Uh... 
Yeah, there, there may be something here. I like this because it's really weird, and I don't think it would work, but most cool things that are really innovative won't work, right? Initially, yeah. Initially, at least. Maybe never. Right. Um, I mean, it was kind of like Blab, though, where you were saying the other day that if Blab existed today, it would it would have worked really well. And if your first cloud kitchen would have existed today, it would have at least worked, survived. Yeah. So maybe it's just... Maybe a one day it will work, but not for a while. Yeah, you know, I, I tweeted this out, which was being early is the same is the same thing as being wrong, <laughs> or or another phrase of that is if you do the right thing at the wrong time, it, it you get pain, you don't get pleasure. Right, and you are just uh, two years off. Uh, yeah, it was a few few years off, but you know, and then a lot of people were like, oh well, if you guys had just persevered, you know. Yeah, who the hell knows, you know? <laughs> you want to talk about this guy named Jim Pattison who I discovered? Yes. So this is the Billy of the Week. Cue the song. We should make a song for the Billy of the Week. Here's why I like this. Now, sometimes uh, I wonder, like, do you... So this guy who I'm about to mention, he's interesting, and I'll explain why. But he is like people who I bring up a lot, which is uh, these old companies that I don't think they grow slow. I mean... But they definitely, uh, like, it's not like a, a zero to massive in three years. So, right. but it's definitely massive. And Mark Andreessen has, like, a famous quote that I can't find. But he's basically trying to say that uh, he's like, Mark Andreessen says, the things that Warren, Warren Buffett loves sea candies because it grows just a little bit each year, but it's really stable. I'm trying to build things that crush Warren Buffett's things. Most of them won't, but some might. And Mark Andreessen said that? I believe he did. Yeah, he was like, with C's Candy, uh, he's like, uh, that's great for him, and it definitely works, but I'm trying to build are the things that will crush that. Uh, he goes, we're not going to invest, uh, here, what he says, he goes, we're not trying to invest in C's Candy or Coca-Cola, we're trying to invest in the things that crush them. Interesting. Um, so, here, let me find the exact quote, is it on here? Um, anyway, uh, yeah, he says, absolutely. He goes, oh, you're not trying to build the next these candies. No, absolutely not. And every time I hear a story like these candies, I want to go and find some new scientific superfood candy company that will blow them right out of the water. <laughs> we're wired completely opposite in that sense. Basically, we're betting against change. We're betting, or he's betting against change. We're betting for change. When he makes a mistake, it's because something changes that he didn't expect. When we make a mistake, it's because something doesn't change that we thought would. And... It's just yeah, two ways to look at it. Both are successful. That's very interesting. That's, I, I like when people can distill their whole strategy down into like two lines, and that's what that's exactly. Yeah, and it's great. It's uh, just different ways to go about looking at things. I tend to lately, I've been liking things that are more long lasting. And so, anyway, let me pull this up. There's a guy named Jim Pattison. Have you ever heard of this guy, Sean? Not until you mentioned him. Okay, he's interesting because for a bunch of reasons. First of all, he owns this thing called Pattison Group. Now. From the looks of it, he owns 100% of this company, and it's in Canada, and, it, and it's privately owned. I don't think it's true that he owns 100% of it, because I don't know how that would work. That, that just seems like impossible. But anyway, he owns 100% of it. It does $10 billion in sales, and they own roughly 25 divisions of the business. So ranging from Lumber uh, to Ripley's, believe it or not, to Guinness Book of World Records, to 30 different car uh, dealerships they own just everything and he's this like shorter guy he's like five four five five he's 90 years old he drive. he's like this <laughs> like not a hillbilly but like this like down home like he drives the same pickup truck forever and he's um really smart and bright but he like walks around eating popcorn like you know he's supposed to be this like normal guy that's right. like the shtick and it seems legit and uh he's bullish on lumber he owns lots of lumber companies and I posted the growth of his businesses so uh, in the in the group channel or in the um, doc. But he has 45,000 employees in Canada. Um, just super fascinating guy. And some of the brands that they own, I'm on their website right now. So some of the brands that they own are, uh, here's the ones I've recognized. Guinness Book of World Records, um, Ocean Brands, Ripley's Believe It or Not, um, those are the only ones I recognize, and there's a, looks like there's a bunch of food advertising media. They're in a you know eight different sort of they industries. They own um, wine. They own Gold Seal. They own uh, Oceans, which is uh, uh, is that cranberry juice or 
That that's what I was thinking when I read it, but maybe that's a different brand. I think it is. They own um, mines in Canada. They own dozens of car dealerships. He started it as a car dealership in 1961. and then Ocean's pa- is Tuna, by the way. Oh, Tuna. <laughs> Sorry, I do know he owns uh, fishing businesses. Uh, then he um, parlayed that 1961 car dealership. Four years later, he bought... Um, he bought a radio station. Then he bought like an advertising and billboard company. Then he bought like magazines. Then he bought a mine. Then he bought more car dealerships. Then I think they bought like, uh, and then he like bought Ripley's believe it or not, because he went to an auction and it was like, he like went to an auction or something like that. And it was like for sale. And then he also bought like Marilyn Monroe's dress that she's saying "Happy Birthday, Mr. President" to JFK for like five million dollars, and was like, "All right, we're <laughs> in the like souvenirs and like museum business now." Like he's just super interesting and a little sporadic and really cool. And let me ask you, how did you even discover this guy? I'll show you, or I'll tell. Well, for that, uh, the way that I discovered him is how I discover anything, which is. Anything I find interesting, so like Ripley's Believe It or Not has always interested me. So did Guinness Book of World Records. You and I one time talked about the business behind uh, like certifying and like giving yes. like a, a seal of approval. I got interested in that and I thought, what what out there is kind of like that? And Guinness Book of World Records was one. And so I clicked on it and I always do the same thing where I go to the very far right and I see who's the parent company and owner. And then I click that, and then I read the history, and it says, this person bought it, sold it to this person, sold it to this person. I always open up all those tabs, and I like to see how they're connected, and I like to see the history of the person. And so right. when I did that with Guinness Book World Records, it said Patterson Group. And I click that, and it says they own Guinness Book World Records, and they own car dealership. And I was like, okay, interested. What's going <laughs> on here? Then I uh, go to newspapers.com, and I type in Jim Pattison, and I read all about him, and that's how. Uh, by the way, I remember, uh, you know, I've wanted to have a Guinness Book of World Record record for a while, just because, again, I'm a sucker for the credential. And uh, it's hard to get, because they have to, like, come out, and there's, like, all these rules. But there's a startup that Chris Saka and others invest in called Record Setter, um, where it was, like, way easier to just like get the actual record set. You just have to like submit a video. They didn't have to have send an official person out or whatever. I wonder if this thing succeeded. This was a while back. I'm going to see if they've, uh, it doesn't look like it's doesn't look like they succeeded. So there are 1.5 million raised started 2008. Yeah. So probably either dead or dead or extremely profitable. I think there's, there's only two paths for, for why that, how that, that, how that happens. Yeah. So what I learned about Guinness Book World Records is Jim Pattison changed the business model. So like, you can pay like a hundred grand and then they like send coaches to like show you exactly how to break the record. And it's like, so like for example, Toyota wanted to set some world record on X, Y, and Z. And so they sent like these scientists to Toyota and they go, all right, so in order to break it, you got to do this, this, and this. The best way to do that is this, this, and this. And uh, just get it all ready and we'll be back out in about a month and we will give you the record so long as you achieve it. Uh, That's amazing. And so anyway, Jim Pattison, super interesting, 90 years old, still working, um, there was a story that I saw about him uh, that happened just a few months ago, and a camera crew went with him. He wanted to go drive and see one of his supermarkets somewhere south of Vancouver, and he drove his car s- like six hours, slept at a Days Inn ho- motel, got up, went to the supermarket unannounced just to check in on things, and then drove home. Um, really interesting guy and well-liked. Do you want to be a billionaire? Is that a goal of yours? I want to get into trouble and like like scheme f- until I die and I and I believe <laughs> I believe that massive amounts of wealth are going to come from that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's perfect. So I like scheme until I die. <laughs> yeah, like I just love I love the thrill of doing shit. Like the, it, it just excites me more than anything, and so yeah. Like for example, I am with you, dude. Go, like you. going to a it, like just seeing a um, uh, a grocery store for sale, and it's like, oh, this is cheap. I bet maybe I could. It's like I don't give a shit about grocery stores, but just like the act of doing right. It's like a business fantasy plays out in your mind. What if I bought this grocery store, and then what, what if I did this? What if I did yeah? That? And so like I I think that I I for sure think that before. I think before 40, for sure, I'll be well worth over $100 million and be very liquid. Nice. 
Um, okay, okay, great. Love it. I would bet that too. I would buy your life coin if I could. <laughs> um, you, all right, you want to talk about one or two more things? Yeah, actually, let me ask you that. If somebody was, if I wanted to buy 10% of your lifetime earnings, so whatever you're making per year, uh, I get 10%. What amount would I have to give you today in order to get 10% of your lifetime earnings? I would never do that. Uh, but uh, yeah. There's no price? Not for a billion dollars you wouldn't give up 10% of your earnings? Okay, yeah, there's a price. Um, I don't know. And wh- why were you allergic to it just now? Because I'd rather be poor than have to owe someone something like that <laughs> or like be told what to do. Um, you wouldn't be told what to do. Yeah, well, I it's don't know. It's basically just fronting your capital. It's saying, like, hey, if you had $10 million right now, would that make you more dangerous? Would you be able to build more faster and do more interesting things? Well, okay, you know, would you I don't give think a- that would make me more dangerous because I have access to that. Like, capital is the easy part. So maybe like 20 million bucks right now. I don't even know. That's what people don't understand is like capitals is rarely, rarely is capital the, the missing equation, right? Um, yeah, well, I think it is missing for a lot of people, but it shouldn't be. And uh, I think you're right that like you can get yourself to a point where accessing capital is no longer a bottleneck at all. For, for a lot of people, that is the bottleneck they're stuck on. But. Yeah, but I just think that convincing rich people to give you money typically is not the hard part about uh, making like getting wealthy. Right. So like building a company, convincing a rich person to give you money is the easiest part because what you're saying, it's all false. Like it's all like there, <laughs> there's no truth to it, right? There's like ideas and there's right. promises, or but it's not that are, it's all false. It's unfalsifiable. Right. It's like, we can't, can't prove whether this is or is not going to happen. Yeah. So I can tell you, like, look, this is going to happen. I'm going to do this, this, and this. And I think it's going to work. And you could tell people anything. And as long as you're charismatic enough, you get the money. Um, yeah. And, or credible enough. Yeah. Yeah. But most people aren't credible. I mean, they're, you're credible in that, like, dude, when, all right, I raised a little bit of seed money. And I had people, we, most people invested $25,000. Uh, a piece and we raised not a lot of money i cold emailed people and i met with them for 30 minutes and then they gave me a check for 25 grand right. and i was so shocked. You're charismatic and credible how do they know i was credible well you've done stuff right like you guys had built a list you had done events you had done things before yes yeah that's true and you could speak with confidence and uh clarity around but that's what my you point were doing. that was just like a false like it was just, i just I thought it might work, and I had and on like you could do the math. You're like, all right, I think this 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 works. I think, but anyway, my point is that I don't. I think that people would be shocked at how getting access to startup capital is typically the e- one of the easier things in in the progression. Right. right. Uh, you want to talk about one or two more things? Yeah, let's do one more. What What, what do you want to talk about? Uh, let's do uh, this notary thing because uh, I know this company and it's huge. Yeah. So, okay. So I just refinanced my house and, uh, you know, every time I go through a process, I've reframed pain and annoyance as opportunity. Um, and so now, so I'm going through this process and it's like the most annoying thing to refinance your house or get a loan in general, if you get a mortgage loan. And so, um, you know, it's taken us months to do this, to finish this, mostly because I'm too lazy to do the paperwork that they, this endless amount of paperwork that they keep sending me. Um, but we got to the last step and the last step is basically, Hey, you need to sign your documents. And, uh, with COVID you basically, they needed to send a mobile notary to our house. So they sent a mobile notary. He guy, guy shows up at our house. Um, he stands there and sort of says, sign here, sign here, sign here. Okay, cool. I'm an official notary. This is now an official document. And then that goes to the title company and the title company just does like nothing because again, I already own this house. And I'm going to own this house again, and yet they're going to make five thousand dollars out of this transaction. The notary said he can make, you know, between a hundred to five hundred dollars, depending on who dispatches him out. He's an independent contractor. Um, so, anyways, as I was going through the process, I was just trying to figure out, okay, wow, what is this whole space, and where where could this be improved? It's crazy. And it's there's so much money in it, and it's still so archaic. It exactly. And so uh, the notary thing, it looks like it's being uh, modernized and there's a company called Notarize, which is sort of leading the way here. So these guys have raised about $50 million. Um, I was just messaging with the founder right before we went live. uh, And I I basically said, hey, give me some numbers that I can brag about um, that, that, you know, you could share. How are you messaging him on Twitter? Yeah, just Twitter. 
Um, cause I've been following him for a while. I like this company. And so I just reached out and said, Hey, I'm about to, t- I'm about to shout you out on the podcast. Tell me something, send me some of these things. And so I'm pretty certain that they're doing over 50 million a year in revenue. Um, he didn't say that, but that, that's not recurring though, is it? No. And how do they make money? Um, well, part of it is recurring in the sense it's not a it's not a, a subscription, but their customers are essentially the the title companies, the escrow companies, the banks, and so they're they just have this sort of um, you know trusted set of vendors that they'll use for notarizing. And so uh, he said that this month alone, twenty five hundred lenders and title companies have come inbound to their to their service. Um, the volume is doubling every week, every week right now, and they're hiring a thousand notaries right now to meet the on-demand, to meet the demand for this sort of mobile uh, notaries. They also have a online notary function that they've created, which is great because you don't have to send the person in person to to your house or, or wherever to sign. Um, and basically, you know, what they're just trying to do is make this less painful. So, how do you make it more convenient? Reduce errors. Like the guy who came to our house. He made an error. He's got to come back again today to do it again because the paperwork has to be airtight. Um, you know, it has to you know be instantly given to the to the title company so that you can close your loan quickly. Um, so, anyways, I think this is very interesting. They have this fleet now of thousands of notaries that are like, cool. I don't have to work for a company. I work for myself, like an Uber driver. And Notarize basically has aggregated the supply of notaries and then the demand side uh, as well. And so I think this is an example. This is the opposite of the company we said at the beginning of the podcast, Thracia, which was like kind of like a, you know, house of cards versus this to me is a simple, durable, defensible, profitable company that will be built uh, in this space. And it's kind of boring because nobody gets up and says, man, I want to change the, you know, the notary world. Um, But I think these guys are actually going to do it. This is awesome. There's another one called SnapDocs. Have you seen that one? They're in a similar space. They've raised $55 million, also a big company. Um, It looks like Notarize is literally just Notary. How do you say it? Notary? Notary. Yeah, Notary, I guess. Um, SnapDoc is uh, similar, um, but a little bit more. It's Notary, but just for real estate. Yeah, huge, huge, huge space. Um, I love this. You know, this reminds me of Checker. Do you know Checker? Yeah, Checker. Oh, man. That's another one where I was like, as soon as I saw it, I had to like take a time out for 10 minutes and be upset with myself that I didn't think of this idea. So Checker, it's Checker, but there's no R. So the word check and then the letter. No E. Sorry, no E. It's the word check and then an R. Uh, raised uh, $150, $200 million at a billion dollar valuation. And it's crazy simple. All they do is they do the background checks for particularly for a lot of the gig gig folks so like Uber and Lyft whenever they want to they you know they don't uh, they don't uh, let people with DUIs and things like that be drivers and so they they do that for them and uh, crazy simple incredibly effective huge company got huge very fast um, and they they basically turned a background check into like an API call and um, it's as simple as that yeah amazing company they just laid off a ton of people I guess because you know, there's not as many people wanting to get background checks right now, but uh, mm. I still think it's going to be great. Okay, maybe it's not as profitable and durable as I thought. Well, um, I think they got huge fast. Like, they hired a ton of people quickly. And right. Uber's revenue for driving is just going down like crazy. So I imagine they just aren't having to do a lot of background checks at the moment. Um, it'll, I believe that will you will always need that. It's just a matter right. of how much will you need and when. Yes. Um Okay, cool. Uh, this is interesting. All right. So, any, no, uh, notaries, background checks. Is there anything else that's interesting in that category? If there, if there's something in that category, tell me. I bet you another one is locksmith. Um, I would love to know what else. Yeah, and if anybody can figure out how to take a refi and make it ten minutes online, that would be amazing. And I would invest in that company. I don't know. I don't know what the bottleneck is. I don't know why it can't be as simple as that. But uh, it should be as simple as, hey, here's your current rate. Uh, here's the you know the here's the rate you can get on the market that's cheaper if you'd like to refi, ten minutes and you're done. That's how it should be. Um, anything else you want to go over? You want to save them for the rest for, the, for we'll Thursday. save it for Thursday. All right. Uh, let us know what you think about this. Tweet at us. Leave reviews, and we will talk Sweet. to you soon. See ya.